With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. And we are to the point in time in the summer where we are going to talk about Phil Steele's college football preview. Steve, I'm going to play a little game with you here real quick. Um, I'm going to say okay. one, one thing that's true and one thing that's not true. Okay. All right. So one of these two things is true. One of these two things is not true. I have hair regrowth taking place. That's the first thing. And the okay. second thing is, this is the first time since 2016 that I've purchased Phil Steele's College Football Preview Magazine. I've got to believe the hair regrowth is not true. The hair regrowth is true. It's just that it's growing on my back. <laughs> But I had this is <laughs> You didn't see that one coming, did you? I did, but dude, I gotta tell you, man, I am pruning bush gardens out of my freaking nose like every week Oh now. dude, it's horrible. And when I go get a haircut, I always have to tell them, can you trim those creepy seventh grade social studies eyebrows yep. I've got going on right yep. now? What is that? Yep. I just want to point at my eyebrows and go, what are those? Yep. What is that? I don't even have to ask him anymore. I've entered my Andy Rooney era. And they are giving me the complimentary ear hedge trimmings without me even asking. <laughs> and with regards to the nostril hairs, dude, the, the worst problem is, is when you're not keeping up on them and they're white because it looks like Ooh, you have yeah. a constant bat in the cave. It sucks, man. It's just like... I'm so thankful. I'm in my 20th year of marriage now. And I'm so yeah. I'm so thankful that I have an awesome wife that we are enjoying one another's company more now than we ever have. We look forward to spending time together because dude, if I were a free agent, there would not be any suitors for my talents at all. Yeah, if this was if this was daily fantasy, we'd be in the dollar bin, no <laughs> doubt. And you know, it's uh it, it's funny you bring this up because you met, I haven't let me, let me give you uh, a true or false. Okay. All right, all right. This is the first year I've actually read a Phil Seals college football preview since about 2009. True or false? False. That's true. True. The reason being is I couldn't read it. When, when I first broke into this business, I, I used to love Phil's magazine because I was like, dude, if I had a magazine, this is what I would do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But it's just impossible to read. Since about 2010, I've had to wear my reading glasses full time. And I was getting to the point that they weren't they weren't working as well as they used to. So I finally went and got an optometrist exam a month ago for the first time since like the seventh grade. And I was I'm both I'm, I had both elements of far and nearsightedness. So you know what that means, right? Your Bi- bifocal bitch. That's what it means. Yeah. OK. Progressive. As as progr- said, progressives. Yes, I have progressive yes. Yeah, and as uh, soon as they said bifocals, I don't know what it was, but I felt my voice get higher, my sperm count dropped, and I went home and started Googling purple pills and stuff because that's that's the age we are now at. But you know what? With these bifocals, this, I actually bought Phil Steele's magazine and read it this year for the first time in years. And I'm like, 
this is I, I, this is actually pretty good. It's amazing how much better the content is when you can read the damn thing. So you haven't even bought it since '09. No, when we used to, I know we do this podcast every year where you and I talk about the preview max. There's a reason why whenever we got to Phil Steele's, I was always like, John, you take the lead on this one. I'll just react. I never read it. I couldn't read the thing. Gave me a headache to read it. And, you know, I mean, I just, and I just, I just kind of let you lead the way and just kind of BS my way through it. We must have not done, we must not have done one the last two years because I didn't buy it. Oh boy. All right. Well, we both have it, um, this year and, um, yeah, I, I, I probably need to go get my uh, progressive bifocal prescription upgraded because I had to hold it a little closer to my to my eyes. But I had forgotten just how much I love the minutia that yep. Phil goes to. And listen, a lot of it's filler. There's no doubt a lot of it's filler. A lot of the stuff, he starts putting it in his magazine in like the winter. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it's it's it basically is an encyclopedia is what it is. It's a reference. So, yeah, it's essentially what I learned reading it this year, from, and just looking at it from a marketing, sports broadcasting, marketing perspective, the first third of the magazine, or maybe the first one-fourth of the magazine, and we'll get into some of these both from an Iowa perspective here and in a broader Big Ten perspective on Bigger Ten, but the, the trend lines, the, turn, the turnovers, turnaround, the schedule matrix, the, the, the trends that he has essentially pioneered in college football forecasting and handicapping mm-hmm. that made him, you know, a national star in this in this era, those trends, getting those updated, it's like buying the old EA Sports NCAA football game. Yeah, you could just play last year's and change the rosters, but it wasn't the same thing. It didn't feel like you had the game unless you bought the new game with the new bells and whistles or, or a Madden now. And so that first one-fourth of the book, where he updates his long-standing trends and applies them to this year, right. that's to me, that's what you're really buying this for. Because all the other stuff in the team preview stuff, there's more information there than you would get in Athlons or Sporting News, but I really don't think it's that much more compelling or that much different. It's just, But when you see the broader trend lines that I think really are what separate him, and that's really the first one-fourth or so of the book, and I think that's what you're paying for because that's what really makes you a smarter fan and a smarter analyst, I think. Yeah, so let's dive into it. Um, we're going to talk Iowa in this podcast and then branch out into more broad Big Ten perspectives in the following and subsequent podcasts that you can find at the Bigger Ten feed. Just go to you know iTunes or in your Google Play Store and search Bigger Ten, that's 10 spelled out T-E-N, and subscribe to that podcast as well. And uh, we'll dive in now with Iowa. So I've got a list of notes here. I'm, I'm going to go through these one by one and get your reaction as right. an Iowa fan right. and, and an analyst, so a guy who's knowledgeable. So here's where Iowa how about, how about How about Fanalyst? Yeah, I, I love that. That's a great – yeah, you should like buy Fanalyst.com. That's a great Hold on. Idea. Time out. Let me push pause real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I'm so, typing it in as we speak. I, I said right, shut up, all right? All right. You uh, got okay. It. okay, let's just see if it's there. And so the, the good news is, fan uh, list, by the time you're hearing this, um, I will have already gotten it. Oh, that's just for sale for $9,999. Please continue. All right, here we go. So here's where, Kurt, where, where Phil Steele has Iowa's unit ratings ranked nationally. Okay, right. and then I'm going to give you Iowa State's just as a comparison because it's Iowa's first barometer game of the year. Okay, right? just I, just 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 for the sake of people listening, I did not ask you to do that. No, but I did this because 
I was curious, like I did this as a Michigan fan with Michigan and Notre Dame over the weekend, mm-hmm. just for my, I was curious, you know, right. and because that's our first big barometer game, so okay. I thought All I should right. do this for Iowa, and that's Iowa State. Okay, I, okay? I like, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with that premise. Okay, so quarterbacks, Iowa is 29th nationally, Iowa State is 48th. Running backs, Iowa is unranked, and, and his rankings usually, depending on the unit, go to either the top 50 or top 54. Why 54? I don't know. That's just what he had. And so Iowa's are unranked. Iowa State's are 27th. That basically means he thinks David Montgomery is the 27th best running back in the country. Well, I, no, he, this is unit rankings, though. Strength right. of unit. Yeah, but that's basically David Montgomery and... David Montgomery is better than the 27th running back in the country. I would tend to agree. He's probably that. like just yeah. top seven. I would and I would also, I would get, I would, I would have Nathan Stanley higher than the 29th. Yeah, we won't we'll talk about that in a bit. Okay. Wide receiver. I mean, he probably just has this as an evergreen. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, he might not even like research high was receivers anymore. In, in the Phil Steele wiki, the, 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 the legend of all of his uh, little initials, which you need that in his magazine, the uh, URWR has a picture of a yes. nameless Iowa receiver on it. Like, he's got macro keys, right? Like, Iowa State's offensive line is unranked. So, like, he has, like, macro keys. Iowa State's offensive line yeah. unranked. Just to save him time. Just to save him yeah. time. Yes. Wide receiver for Iowa State was unranked, though. That's which surprising. That's surprising. Okay. I mentioned Iowa State's offensive line is unranked. This shocked me. Iowa's offensive line, unranked. And so I want wait, to wait, 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 wait. Yeah, Iowa's offensive line, not one of the top 50 units. So just to give our audience some perspective, I looked at some of the teams that he had towards the bottom of his unit rankings. He has Western Michigan with the 36th best offensive line. All right. Now, does Phil Steele? I listen to all the Phil's podcasts. I can't read his magazine until I buy bifocals, but I've always listened. For the last two years, I've listened to his weekly podcast every week, okay? I cannot believe a guy as smart as Phil really believes Western Michigan is going to have a better offensive line than the fighting Kirk Ferences. I just don't believe that. I don't believe he believes that. Well, So I don't know why yeah. that's in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his guys that he has projected. He's got Levi Paulson and Landon Paulson both projected as starters. Both of those guys are not going to be starters. Um, so uh, on one hand, I get what he's saying. He's probably looking at this as returning starts, uh, and, and starting experience returning. And yeah, you've got Worfs and Jackson, but they were freshmen last year. You've got Keegan Render, who was a guard who's going to maybe be asked to play center. So it is definitely one of the most inexperienced offensive lines. I would imagine in the big 10, considering that three of your five positions, are likely to include guys or possibly to include guys who don't have much experience or any experience starting at the position that they'll be playing. That said, though, your point is, do you really feel that an offensive line coached by Kirk Ferentz is not one of, going to be one of the 50th best in the country? No, I do not. I mean, it's 113, so we're really talking about will it be one of the top in the top 40% of offensive lines in college football. I have a hard time believing that that won't be the case. I have a hard time believing that he really believes Western Michigan is going to have a better offensive line than Iowa. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe he believes that. We'll okay. have to hit him up on Twitter. Defensive line. I did that with Jerry DiNardo, by the way. Maybe we should talk about that yeah, at some point. Yeah, we will. Did you, did you see that interaction? I did. Did you see that? I okay, did. And it, it, it just made me think, dude, then why the hell did you say it? 
Yeah, exactly. But but we'll maybe do that. I don't want to steal the uh, Iowa fan time. This is Iowa fans time. Let's give them their time. Defensive line. Okay. Iowa's is ranked 20th. I actually think that might be a little low, frankly. Although for an Iowa fan, you're thinking, because that's kind of the position that separates the men from the, men from the boys of college football. You're like, dude, if we're top 20 defensive line, we got a chance to win a lot of games this year. Iowa State's was 32nd. I have to believe that's the highest in Iowa yeah. State defensive line has ever been rated on a field Well, you've probably so. And, and there's been better offensive line, defensive lines at Iowa State than, 30, than 32nd. They just yeah. wouldn't have been ranked that high. You know, and you brought this up a few weeks ago. And you remember me poo-pooing you? I mean, you you, you expressed pretty good confidence yeah. uh, and outlook in Iowa's defensive line. And I'm sitting there going, eh, I don't know about that. I'd kind of tap the brakes. But, uh, gosh dang it, this time of year I, I just get sucked into hawktimism. And I don't like doing that. Not that I don't want them to exceed expectations. I want them to win every game. It's just I don't like you know my personal outlook on a season to become influenced by other people's analysis. Sure. But it's human nature and it's possible. And I'm trying to resist this. But I listen to Morehouse and Doctorman, the, the On Iowa podcast. I've always listened to that. I love it. You should listen to it too if you're listening. I'm sure that you do. Um, they seem optimistic about defensive line. Obviously, you've got Nelson, you've got Hesse, you've got, you know, AJ Epinesa after his first offseason in Iowa's strength and conditioning program. And conditioning is a, is a big point, as Mark and Scott brought up on this week's podcast. That Penn State game, the last, you know, the last few plays of the game, he was out because he was dragging it, man. He was not in Big Ten football shape. He's just a freak of a freak of nature athletically that he played. He's going to be better. It really, to me, it was on the interior of the line, and I don't know if they have if they have a top twenty defensive line and it plays that way all season, they'll probably win ten games. When I did my national unit ratings, and I just read Phil's magazine this week when right. I got my bifocals, right? Or, or, or last weekend, okay. Um, and so I my I finished my preview on June twenty fourth, and I was shocked how similar several of our perspectives were. When I read his magazine this last weekend, when I did my national unit ratings, I had a very difficult time with three positions, wide receiver, defensive line and defensive back. And the reason being, those three units have just been decimated by early entries to the NFL draft in the last 12 months. And so what I found, what I found coming up with the top five or six or seven defensive lines was pretty easy. Just a matter of what order you wanted to put it in. But, man, I had a hard time figuring out differentiating 8 to 16, okay? Wide receivers. Once I got past a couple, two or three schools, frankly, I had a hard time figuring out number 5 from number 25 because there's been so many guys that have left early. Defensive back was sort of the same way, right? You got your annual, your perennial DBUs, your Miami's, your Florida's, your LSU's. They always have great secondaries. Even when they're terrible, they have great secondaries. So they're in there somewhere. Once I got past the top five, though, it was really difficult. And so I think that one of that that's one of the reasons why I'm really high on Iowa's defensive front is I see familiar names, I see depth, and I you see here's what here's to me what separates a good defensive line from one that deserves a ranking like this. Do you have disruptors and do you have depth? A lot of programs can put enough meat on a guy and just have him occupy a couple gaps in the run game. Okay. Can you disrupt a team with just your front four 
And right. do you have the depth so that when we get into the fourth quarter and you're basically rushing the passer um, if you're behind every single possession or the other team's behind and they're throwing the ball every single – so you're rushing the passer, which is the most exhausting thing any defensive player will tell you they have to do is rushing the passer all the time. Do you have the depth to roll guys in there and so, so that with the fourth quarter your top line guys are fresh because you played some other guys in the second in the second and third quarter? And I see I see I see the holistic templates for that sort of unit to be developed at Iowa. I, I mean the production isn't quite there yet in terms of what they've done, but really when you get outside the top six or seven defensive lines in my rankings, the production is not really there for anybody. You're kind of projecting. And that's why I like I like the framework of what Iowa brings to the table, and I, that's why I think they can they can be something a little bit different than what we've typically seen out of the Hawkeyes. Hmm. Well, I, I hope you're right. I, I really am, and I, I do agree with you to be able to bring in a few waves of of pass disruptors. It's been a long time since Iowa's been a um, scary out with regards to the pass rush. That'd be one of the complaints that we've had. They've had to dial up a little extra pressure through their Raider looks uh, at times because they haven't had those elite tier pass rushers up front probably since I, – I, I'm not saying they haven't – I mean, Drew Ott was a good pass rusher, but he was their one. But when you got to go back to, you know, 2010 and, and Adrian Claiborne and, and Christian Ballard and those types of lines to where they had it all across the board. So this is probably the best group they've had since then. It's just to me – how is the interior of that line going to hold up against a Wisconsin? Then again, you could probably yeah. say that about most every team in the Big Ten, with the exception of Michigan, so. and or Ohio State. Yeah. Um, the thing of this is why I also think Iowa's defensive front is even a little low at twenty. Iowa State has an All Big Twelve player in Jaquan Bailey. After that, okay, you know, and their starters might even be pretty good. I could, you know. Does anybody really think this, there's not a drop-off in the second unit of the defensive front at Iowa State? Of course there is. And so if somebody like Phil Steele is looking at Iowa State's defensive front, and let's say he even has them a little high at 32. Let's say they ought to be 42 or 48. If Phil Steele legitimately believes Iowa State has a top 50 defensive front nationally, then when I look at what Iowa's template is, what they, what they could potentially project to, that is Easily than a top twenty defensive line, and that's that's why I think he's he's actually being conservative hmm. in that estimation. Now linebackers, Iowa's are unranked, so if I think Iowa State's defensive front is is overranked by Seal, I actually think the linebackers are underranked. He has Iowa State's linebackers at thirty four. You've got a couple players, two. I mean, of the three starting linebackers, two of them might be all Big Twelve at Iowa State. So I think their linebackers might be a little underrated. But what do you think about Iowa's not being ranked at all in the top 15? I mean, I think that they've got talent there, but I think, you know, Phil has to base this. I mean, this can't be the the Phil Steele wish book, you know, like the J.C. Penny, What I Want for Christmas book. He has to go off some degrees of uh, objective data and material. And when you do that, Iowa's objective data at linebacker is unknown nearly entirely as it relates to production on the field at the Power 5 level. So I don't have a problem with that. There probably are 50 other groups who have at least some returning semblance of understanding of what they're going to have. Defensive back, Iowa is 26, which means he's still giving them a lot of respect despite the loss uh, of an All-American there. Iowa State's DBs are unranked, even though he has Brian Peavy 
as a 13 All-American. So your thoughts on what he thinks of Iowa in the secondary? Well, he has Manny Ragumba as a returning starter. And, of course, Phil, like all other magazine publishers, put this out you know, to print sometime in May. Uh, some people maybe even in April. So we give him a pass there. But I, I would say that I think Matt Hankins is going to be a really good quarter. I think Ojemudia is a solid corner. I think the talent that they have coming in in their freshman class, their true freshman class, as well as a couple uh, of red shirts like a Trey Creamer, but some of these true freshman guys, a DJ Johnson, a Julius Brents, I think this new NCAA rule of allowing true freshmen to play in four games and still get their red shirt is really going to benefit Iowa at the corner position immensely because they have some – that. The, the talent that they have at corner in pure raw potential on the roster right now might be the best they've ever had. And obviously we've seen, you know, Desmond King, Justin Johnson. We've seen Micah Hyde play that position at Iowa, uh, Amari Spave. They've had good corners. I don't know that they've ever had a pair of lockdown guys, boundary corners, and I think Amani Hooker is a first-team All-Big Ten caliber performer back there. So I think that by the time the end of the season comes, this secondary ranking is going to be at least 26, maybe better. Um, I think early on, some of these freshmen got to come in and, and get their, uh, you know, get their experience. Probably get burnt here and there. But I think they've got immense talent, and I think that will probably shine through more in the second half of the season than the first. I think just by the time they play Wisconsin, I was going to have to really load up to stop the run, as will everyone against Wisconsin, just like everyone had to do against 2002 Iowa. And I think these guys are going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations, so uh, we'll get a chance to see them tested early. Finally, uh, Phil doesn't have Iowa State special teams ranked. He has Iowa's 18th. And when you play a style of football where a lot of games every week are 24-17, 24-21, having a special teams unit ranked among the top 20, 25 in the country can be the difference in you being on the positive side of the ledger in terms of hit yardage, field position, et cetera, with that extra uh, three to four points that decides a lot of the, the perennial one-possession games that you know litter Iowa's schedule most seasons. Yeah, I mean, it almost – I don't know if he's given Kirk the benefit of the doubt for their special teams play in the first half of the previous decade. But Iowa's punting last year was horrible, mm-hmm. absolutely atrocious. And that, that that's what they have coming back this year in, in Colton Rastetter and Ryan Grisandi. And, you know, I heard uh, more – it just so happened – I mean, I had I had to drive like four hours yesterday, so I listened to their podcast, and I don't normally do that uh, before we record ours, so I will certainly give them credit. Uh, you know, the notion of having Rastetter be a minus 50 punter and Gersandi handling the plus 50, I think that's a great idea. Miguel Racinos was a fine place kicker for Iowa last year, very reliable. I think they're good on that regard. But until I see the punting team at least tread water – I can't imagine they're a top 18 unit. Now, of course, this would also factor in your, your, your kickoff coverage and your punt coverage, and Iowa was very good in both of those last year. And I think there'll be some young uh, true freshmen that get a chance to, to benefit that this year. But you know what? That's going to be the same way for every other program in the country. You know, just think of maybe how much better um, you know, some of these elite programs 
and their coverage units are going to be their kickoff teams and their and their gunner punt gunner teams are going to be when they can throw some of these young kids on give them a look and they can play four games and get their noses wet in special teams and the coaches can say okay we're going to put you back in the live well we'll save your year or oh my gosh this guy is so good we've got to leave him out there and that allows their some of their starters on defense not to have to play on some of these groups so I think it'll benefit Iowa, but in this regard, it's going to benefit a lot of teams. So Phil has Iowa in his power poll, 35th, Iowa State, 38th. If you look at the way point spreads are constructed and the home field advantage, the elite, elite level point home field advantage, like an LSU at night, would be four points. Iowa would probably be a shade beneath that historically. So say you give them three and a half points. Well, I'd give Iowa like three points for a home game against North Texas, but a three and a half, you know, you dial it up to 11 for a rivalry game like Iowa State. So you get three and a half for a home game. So if Phil was doing your point spread here, he'd probably, based on this ranking and home field advantage, have Iowa around a five-point favorite in September against the Cyclones. Yeah, I'd take Iowa just because of the venue. And if, if Iowa State were a five-point favorite at home this year, I'd probably be inclined to lean Iowa State. Uh, it's 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 going to be a very, very good early season test, one that probably won't get as much appreciation nationally. Um, and, and usually it doesn't deserve it. This year, I think it could. Great barometer game for both teams. Both teams uh, at that juncture of the season, uh, competent and salty, probably not as good as they're going to be later in the year. And, of course, what you have with Iowa State, although it seems like Matt Campbell is – I'm not saying he's building a power team, but he has more power in his team than most Big 12 teams do. So a little bit of a zig where a lot of his competition zags. I like that. I know that you do as well. And mm-hmm. I think that it, it, it it's going to be a fun game. It, it's – it's going to be one of those games when you look back on the season has the potential to be one of the more fun times to be uh, watching Iowa and Kinnick Stadium the entire season. I think the big story for Iowa State is the defense, the umbrella defense they came up with at the midseason mark last year in the Big 12 that forced Big 12 teams to be patient offensively, to keep them in front of them. Where they, and, they, and you saw Iowa State's turnover margin soar. Because they kept the ball in front of them, they forced a lot of turnovers. I don't. There's no way you can run that defense against an offense like Iowa's. Because no, and Iowa they would certainly. Up, they would. They, they would wind up in a in a in a pro style against your three man front and your linebackers off the ball. Man, that's a, they're going to maul you. That's a clubbing. So you're going to have to run a different defense against Iowa in September. But when I look at Iowa State's Big 12 schedule, you know, Oklahoma still has a power running game element that Iowa State beat them last year, but you have to think that that would be a big revenge spot. When I look at all the teams in the Big 12, the only one I could sit here right now and say could line up and just and, and have the patience and the execution to just simply take advantage of Iowa State's soft defensive front. Kansas State. Right now, the only team is Oklahoma. The rest of those teams are still wholly reliant on horizontal ball movement hmm. and, and, and that sort of chunk play offense in that league that Iowa State has sort of found a way to scheme themselves out of getting caught with their britches down. But I don't see any way you could play that kind of an offense in Iowa, or well, defense in Iowa City. I mean, it's pretty dangerous to prepare and to be something for nine games on your schedule, but for one week try to be something else. Yep. Um, I, I don't know that they would abandon it. I think you can probably still have those same personnel guys in the field, but maybe almost you know 
apply more of a, a, a random Wisconsin 3-4 look and, and just try to surprise Iowa, guess where the pressure's coming from, guess which gaps are going to be filled on each play and, and change them up. But, you know, if you're Iowa, and, and I really hope this comes to bear this year, you know, one of the things on offense that you really dream about having are, especially in Iowa offense, let's just say, are tight ends that are threats in the running game as blockers, but in the passing game as mismatches. Because that allows you to run the same or very similar personnel groupings, right. whether it's yeah. 12 or 13, um, throughout most of the game. And the defense can't then substitute in nickel looks, dime looks, heavy looks to counter what personnel you're bringing in. Um, so I, I do think that I what and I And you know what there's none of in the Big 12, by the way? What you just described. Exactly. That so, player, Mark Andrews was the best tight end in the Big 12 the last two years. He's basically, uh, uh, he's Jimmy Graham. He's a really tall wide receiver. He's not, he is not the sort of two, the, the, the dual threat pro style, pure pro style tight end that you just described. That player doesn't exist in the Big 12. Iowa could run a, a set with TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, and a Sean Byer. Three tight ends and one receiver and a lone back set. And they basically, since they have the same personnel group, they have more audibles available to them within the same personnel group. They basically have all the plays that are available for that personnel group in that audible set. Not all of them, but certainly more than you would. You're limited to, you know, if you're in a three wide, you can't audible to a power look. If they only have a three-man front and they're dropping their linebackers on a pre-snap read, you can't do that because you'll have a personnel issue. But when you have that type of personnel flexibility, you can really do some things. And, and that's, why, it, it, that's why this game oftentimes is a tough out for Iowa State, given the conference they play in, the type of defense that they want to play for nine of their 13 games. Then they go, they go up against a team like Iowa who isn't anything like that. And I'm not saying that makes Iowa always better than them. They're just different. And all the preparation that you did in camp, you know, I mean, you can't scheme for an out-of-conference game. Old Iowa State might have done that. Current Iowa State, I don't think they're about that. They can't be no, about that. They not. have their sights yeah. set on higher things. So should be a lot of fun. Nice chess match. All right, couple trend lines to close this out. So Iowa is on the uh, is on opposite sides of two of Phil Steele's favorite trends. For example, over the last twenty one years, teams that lost between twelve or twenty three roster points by Phil Steele's metric. He ranks, you know, how many points you've lost the NFL by position when they were drafted, etc. Teams that have lost between 12 and 23 points in the NFL draft have a weaker or same or the same record the next year, 75 percent of the time. That's a 21-year trend, and Steele has Iowa losing 13 roster points to the NFL. So that would mean that trend would have Iowa at a 75 percent odds of being the same or worse record-wise this season, but. According to Steele's strength of schedule rankings, there's an 81% chance Iowa will have the same or better record right. than last year. There was really only two teams I found that that were caught right in the middle of, of Phil Steele's uh, famous trends. One was, and they were both in the Big Ten. One was Iowa. The other was Michigan State. We'll talk about them in the Bigger Ten podcast. But your read on sort of those dueling narratives there. Yeah, I mean, Iowa had a top ten schedule last year, and the Big Ten had a number of you know, teams ranking highly in the schedule last year. There were three or four different places I looked at had Iowa with a top four schedule last year, 
and they went eight and five. So that team last year might have been a little bit better. And, and, and they did that with two freshmen at tackle. Um, so that's pretty promising, pretty hopeful. So I, I definitely think that the schedule offsetting the talent loss, uh, you know, we, we know where the questions are. It's an offensive line, and that's a big question, but you kind of give Iowa the benefit of the doubt with that, given Kirk Ferentz's track record and, and defensive line and linebacker. But I, I think I will be surprised if they don't win more games in the regular season this year than the seven they won last year. He's got Iowa against USC in the Holiday Bowl. I'm guessing the, the Miller family Christmas fund would sign up for that right about now from a bull charter tour perspective. <laughs> Back in the old days before I sold it, absolutely. For Iowa fans and their desire to go someplace, I would certainly uh, think a lot of people would love to go to San Diego. It's a great venue. It's a great place. Iowa hasn't been out there since probably, what, 1991? Um, they're 10-1-1 season. Um, when they tied in that bowl game, and yeah, BYU, right? against, B- yep, BYU. against BYU, Leroy Smith that year had what, like 15 or 18 sacks, uh, just an incredible season. So yeah, that would be a fantastic venue. Some notes he has on Iowa's schedule. Hawkeyes have won 15 of their last 17 season openers. Five of the last seven side hot games were decided by six points or less. Heading into 2017, so last season. Iowa had won nine of its last ten Big Ten road games, but last year lost three of four. Iowa hasn't won Floyd of Rosedale four straight years since they won it five straight years from 2001 to 2005. The last three years at home, Iowa has upset AP ranked number three, number two, and number 17, and Iowa is 13-1-1 in its last 15 games against the spread as a road favorite. Which of those trends stands out to you? Hmm. Um, I think the one that I think the 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 AP upsets for me, and you know now that I think back on it, you know that narrative has been played up in in pregame broadcasts from the guys saying, "Hey, this is a place where dreams go to die," but it's nice to it's nice to see that. Um, and and I was. You know, I had forgotten about Iowa's nine of ten road wins prior to last season, but I, I kind of like seeing the upsetting of the of the big schools. Maybe that's just the uh, the mm-hmm. Iowan chip on shoulder factor playing out there. So oh. that's it. That's what I got. Your overall big picture takeaway from this? Yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward to diving in and and reading this magazine more. Um, under knowing that you know, Iowa's got what less than forty. Less than 50 returning line starts this season. They started last season with 99, according to Phil. And then, of course, Ike Bucker and um, Boone Myers went down, and, and that certainly hurt. And losing James, just you know, if James Daniels had come back for this season, I think I could easily stretch myself to say I was a preseason top 25 team, top 20 team, and I would feel actually comfortable at nine or 10 wins. Um, but he's not. He's not back, so that unknown factor. I don't. I don't blame Phil for where he's got Iowa. I think thirty fifth might be a little low, but I don't know. I think on the whole, a solid effort by Phil. Well, we've got so a crap ton of interesting trend nuggets on the Bigger Ten podcast coming up, so people do not want to miss that. That is a heck of a tease, and we'll leave you with that. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>